Um, I'm really excited. This weekend, as part of our session, we're going to be having um, some issues with So I'd like to invite Shabby and Tracy, who are going to come and have a chat with me about um, some of the content from our first session. Now, so let's see if I can remember how to write this thing. Come up, girls. While you're coming up, can you think about a hobby that you have that you could tell us about? I'm thinking we often see Tracy doing one of her hobbies. Do you want to start with that, Tracy? Yeah, I think probably most of you have seen me knitting during the sermon. And I, um, yeah, so I like to knit and I didn't do it. I did it when the kids were little. I used to make like little cardigans for them. And then they stopped enjoying my knitted things. So I stopped for a while and I took up card making when Toby was born. But I've just gone back to knitting during lockdown. And I forgot that it's unusual to do it during church because I was, you know, no one ever says anything. <laughs> and then I went to my parents' church and I just took it and, yeah, my, my mum got questions from people. Why is Tracy knitting in church? <laughs> but it helps me to concentrate on the sermon if my hands are busy. That's good. Have you got a hobby that you can take to church and do it at the same time? Um, yeah, like I have learned to knit, so I could do that one. But um, something that I learned in lockdown was to play the ukulele, or the mukulele, as Felix calls it. <laughs> and so I love playing the mukulele. I'm not very good at it, but I find it really enjoyable. So it in your boot. We're going to yeah. hear it later. No. Just in the backyard. You played um, it here last week. Yeah. What about um, in your week? What, what do you spend most of your week doing, um, especially for people who might not know that much about you? Um, well, half of my week I spend working. So I'm a lawyer, so I work two and a half days doing that, um, writing wills for people and dealing with um, estates, yeah, when people have died. And the other half, um, listening to podcasts and... Being doing stuff at home and resting, which I'll talk about more later. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm an OT and I work in mental health and I work with refugees and asylum seekers in their first five years post arrival, helping them to link into mental health care. So babies through to kind of 24 years of age. So I do that three days a week and the rest of the time I chase um, three wild kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and Gabby, I hear you really love me time and bath bombs. And um, so you can tell us a little bit about how we can start relaxing. Is that right? Is that why you're up here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I love me time and bath bombs. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So self-care isn't just about day spas um, or to be seen as a luxury. But, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on that and... Yeah, just what that means for our mental well-being, emotional well-being. Yeah, I think that, um, and me and my team had a chat about this the other day, that in our culture there's this kind of thing that's deeply embedded in our psyche that actually it's a hustle culture and we should be working and striving and doing more and being busy and that busy busyness and doing all the time is actually um, kind of like the high goal and I think in that the danger is that we think that self-care is, when my team was kind of saying tongue-in-cheek, bath bombs and, you know, it's this kind of luxury that only some people can can afford to have, to have self-care. It's this kind of fluffy thing. Whereas I think 
what I would like to argue both from my personal perspective, but I think more broadly from kind of working mental health is that if you don't prioritise and work out what self-care looks like for you, and it looks different for each of us because we're all different, but if we don't find a way to prioritise that and build habits into our daily life that enable us to kind of rest and recharge both spiritually, physically and mentally, I think that we just risk burnout and that looks different for each of us. But really at the end of the day, God's kind of, he's created us, he created the Sabbath and actually rest and is actually something that we need to be able to function at our best. And if we don't do that, we just, we can't be our best in all of the spheres of our life and all the roles that God has given us. So did you want me to talk to the bucket now? Yeah. Do we have it to pop on? Oh. Oh, no, that looks, okay. So Tracy's looks beautiful. Mine <laughs> is just a terrible hand-drawn bucket that Adam beautifully kind of referenced. So this actually comes from a model that was developed in helping young people who were experiencing early psychosis and helping them to kind of think about why they might have come to this point and what they need to do differently to be able to have more balance and to be more kind of well. But it's been more broadly expanded over the last few decades. It's kind of, it comes from research. I know it's a terrible drawing, but it actually comes from a, a lot of research. And so the idea is that we kind of, we all have a bucket and that, that is different for each of us in terms of the size of our bucket and that's not in your control. So my bucket might be a different size to Martine's and to Tracy's and to yours. And the, the size of it is to do with um, kind of early life experiences. It's to do with things like your genetics, which is you can blame your parents for that. That's beyond, that's beyond your control. But it's also to do with some kind of early life experiences that might have been adverse for you that just mean we have a di each of us have a different level of resilience, if you like. So there's no point me kind of comparing myself to Martine in terms of how much stress or how many things Martine can do in her life and thinking, oh, I don't do as much as Martine, I must do more. What's important for us to know is that we've all got a different size bucket and we've just got to get to know what size our bucket is. Then we've got stresses that come into our life. And I've kind of just done kind of general categories, but you've got kind of broader environmental stresses that could be going on in the world, the physical environment, the political environment, social environment, etc. Then you've got kind of your work or your study stresses, relational stresses. Um, and some of them are predictable and some of them we can make choices around, like how many days a week do I work, what type of role do I take on, how much time do I spend with others. And then other stresses we just can't control, e.g. like COVID pandemic. So to some extent, when Adam said we can think about how can we reduce the stresses that come in, yes, that's one part of it. But the one thing I think that we can all do, and this is not to impose a task to make you feel stressed, but my challenge to each of you is more about thinking about how we put those holes in the bucket. And so that's how do we prioritise self-care in those kind of different areas. So that it, rather than a bucket, it's more like a sieve. We want the water to be flowing through because otherwise if it's going up, another stressor comes in. If you're redlining and your stressors are already here and you don't have enough holes for the water to flow through, it's going to tip any time. Like that line that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. A buffer zone. That's right. So we want a bigger buffer zone. We don't want to always be running around with a bucket that's at like 98% of water and you're just hoping tomorrow's not going to have another stressor that's going to tip you. The things we can control is what other holes can we put in the bucket. And I've kind of just done general categories in terms of your physical health, you know, nutrition, drinking water. I can't underestimate that one, kind of sleep, exercise. But also I put breathing on there, learning to breathe and to be able to calm yourself down is actually like a really important life skill. Um, and then you've got your other areas, obviously, in terms of social connection and then I put 
hobbies, which sounds like daddy, but actually that is one of those interests and things that nourish you and enable you to kind of express yourself and they're different for different people. Um, yeah, and one that's not on there, I guess, is of course kind of what spiritual disciplines that are for you, whether that's kind of prayer or journaling or reflection. Um, and my challenge to you is that we're all busy and we've all got roles. And so I probably wouldn't accept an answer from you that, no, I can't, don't have time to put my holes in the bucket. I'd say you need to make time to put holes in the bucket and just little small habits in your days and in your weeks that actually, yeah, just a, a ways of you taking a pause, taking some care for yourself that actually recharge you and make you much more efficient to then kind of fulfill the different roles and responsibilities that you've got. Great. Um, and so there's also this arrow that is coming out, but then it's dumping back in again. What's the problem there, Gabby? Yeah, so that's, I think, links in nicely with what Adam was talking about. So I've kind of just thought of like unhelpful coping. So that's when you think, oh, that extra glass of wine at night or that extra bit of chocolate. I'm not here to say don't drink wine and don't eat chocolate <laughs> because they're really fabulous things. Um, but they might be other more sinister things for some people. Um, yeah, I guess in terms of like screen addiction or self-harm, I'm calling out slightly more tricky things, but there are different things that some of us might do that might provide like a short-term emotional release and we think it's actually putting a hole in the bucket, but actually what it's doing is really just recycling stress back in, if that makes sense. So if you just take, I don't know, we'll just take the chocolate example because that's a one that I relate to. You can eat a little bit and that feels great, but if you're eating a block every night, you know, over time, obviously, that can have other impacts on your physical health and it actually, it, it's not releasing the stress. Yeah. Mm. But no judgment on the chocolate here. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, um, can you tell us about a time when you feel like you've had a, a good sense of where your water level's at, you've got some good kind of holes in your bucket that are releasing stress. So time when, when that was working well for you and the, the positive flow on effects that had for you in terms of loving God and loving your neighbor better. Yeah, um, I think rather than like a one moment in time, it's more like a over the years, how me getting to know myself and working out like who I am and what my temperament is. So for me, like I'm actually very much an introvert and I need heaps of space away from other people, which is very hard to do when you work, you know, you know, with people and then have small people. So for me over the years, learning to kind of prioritise like some quiet time and space and then learning what things are useful to do in that time that aren't what, like what Adam said, switching off and disengaging for myself, but things that are enriching and my physical recovery and for reflection. So learning over the years, what's okay to say no to, not signing on to too much, how many days a week work works for me, how to schedule a quiet week after a busy week, how many nights a week I can cope with doing stuff or not, and, and not comparing that to anybody else. Because like I said, we've all got a different bucket. Mm -hmm. So I'm just actually accepting this is who I am, this is my temperament, and, and kind of just building in habits. And I think the flow and effect of that just means I'm calmer, you know, I can think about things and make more reflective choices in life. I'm, I'm a less shouty parent. I'm a nicer partner for Aaron. You know, I'm, I'm calmer in a work environment which is high-paced and kind of stressful. So, yeah, and I guess the flip side of that is the stuff that Adam talked about. If the bucket's only go up, we've got to be able to tune into ourselves to get those messages that our body and brain are telling us, I need to put more holes in it. And so that's like even a first step. How do you know the water's going up? Like... Are you tuned in to notice when your thinking gets chaotic? Are you tuned in to notice when your breathing 
you know, rate goes up or your heart's pounding or your sleep's going downhill or you're getting more irritable. So yeah. when you should notice those early warning signs and kind of, I think that's like a, that's a life skill to slowly yeah. work on for all of us. Thanks for sharing. No worries. Um, no, you have to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of a lot of those ideas and themes um, are really yeah, real. In your story, no, no, Tracy, you've got a different story and different bucket as we've been hearing. And I know that this idea of yeah, that our our bodies are like dust mm -hmm. and frail and fragile um, does really resonate with you and. Um, but the future glory really um, just is so sweet for you to think about. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this um, Easter that's just gone, it's been 21 years since I first became unwell. So I was 20 when that happened. And I just, um, I guess it started off with just nausea that just became almost 24 hours a day, then dizziness and then fatigue. And Jen will know, because I was living with Jen at the time, so I just was just exhausted and just really fatigued, didn't know what was going on. Um, after about six months, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. And um, I was given meds of beta blockers to help slow my heart rate and then just told to rest and, you know, not do too much. So I slowed down my degree and, and ended up adding an extra year onto my degree. Um, and then after Charlotte was born, I had some other friends who had chronic fatigue syndrome and they saw a different specialist and got re-diagnosed with POTS. And I went and saw the same specialist and got the same re-diagnosis. So POTS stands for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardic Syndrome. And basically it means that my body um, struggles to regulate my blood flow. So um, when I stand up, my blood pressure drops and my heart rate increases quite a lot because my body's having to work harder to pump blood around to keep me upright. And so that makes me really faint and dizzy and lightheaded and really tired. Um, so, yeah, so I was given medications for that, which is slightly different. But the difference of the two diagnoses was the medications I'm on um, are with the aim of making me well enough to be able to exercise because exercise is kind of the best treatment because the stronger muscles are in my legs in particular, um, the better that when I stand up, my blood pulls to my feet, but if my leg muscles are stronger and my heart is stronger, my body can pump that blood around a lot more easy, easier, which then allows me to not feel so sick um, when I stand up. Yes. Yeah. So, um... So pace. Um, yeah. So that. Yeah. So I had to completely kind of just change the way I do life, mm -hmm. and it's taken me a really long time to work out the best way of doing that. So I knew when I had pots that I've got to exercise. So there was a, a period of time when Toby was little, and I'd put him in the crèche at the gym, and I went to the gym three times a week, two or three times a week, go to the gym, do a one and a half hour workout, feel great the rest of that day, and then just crash and I'd be tired for two days, and then I'd go to the gym and do it all over again. And I just thought, okay, eventually, I'll stop being so tired, but I never did. And then I went uh, to see an exercise physiologist who really taught me about pacing. And so thinking about, I had to keep a diary of my activities and list everything that I did every hour and then color code it 
for how much energy it requires. So green for low, yellow for medium, and red for high. And we'd look at it and go, okay, so here's your red periods of energy requirement. How can we build in some green activities around it so that that red activity isn't so red or that it doesn't then exhaust you and overflow my bucket on a physical level? Um, so that became really important. So I was saying to my team last night that one of the things I learned to do, we used to live in a two-storey house and I would um, vacuum the whole house in one go and then that was it. Like I couldn't go get the kids from school, I could barely cook dinner because I'd exhausted myself vacuuming. And so I learned to vacuum one room and then sit down and have a little rest and then vacuum the next room. And then that, and by that pacing and kind of resting in between things that require more energy helped me to sustain to do that activity and then be able to do something else afterwards instead of that being the only thing I did that day. Mm. Yeah. But I'm not great at it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so we've got another picture of, um, I guess, a theory or an idea that it, I find this so helpful to understand um, just how, how you cope with each day and um, managing, pacing yourself and your energy. So could you talk us through that? Just yeah, so this, the spoon theory has kind of been developed as a way of explaining um, chronic illnesses to people who don't experience it. Because um, sometimes it gets misunderstood of, oh, you're just tired. Well, I get tired too. Like, that's true. But it's a different type of fatigue and a different type of planning that needs to be made around it. So the spoon theory goes that imagine that you've only got 12 spoons of energy every day and you've got to decide how to use those 12 spoons of energy. And it also says that if you, that you take away a spoon if you didn't get a good night's sleep or if you forgot to take your medications and take away four if you've got a cold. So I, I, um, had a, I, I did it for myself this morning and I didn't sleep well last night because the first night of camp I never sleep well. So I have 11 spoons for today. I got out of bed and I got dressed and I took my medication, so I've used three spoons. Um, I ate and did some socialising over breakfast. I didn't have to make it, so I'm saying that that's two spoons. Mm -hmm. that but great. I did do Pilates mm -hmm. with Ivana because I have, that's part of my exercise and I've got hypermobility in my hips, so I experience a lot of hip pain. Um, and I listened to Adam's talk. So if you add that up, I'm, that used a fair few spoons. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I prepared for saying stuff this morning. So that's another two spoons. So it's what time is it now? It's ten o'clock, and I've used eleven spoons. So I'm going to bed now, <laughs> and that's my day. But it means that when I think about when I, my work days, I know that my work days require a lot of energy, and so I've got to think about. How do I make sure that I can get through my whole day? So things like showering. I don't shower on a work day. I do it the night before. Don't worry. I do. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I take public transport to get to work instead of driving because if I was to drive, I'd get to work already having used up more than half of my spoons for the day and then I've got to do a work day. So that is unsustainable. If I don't want to have that boom and bust of kind of pushing myself and then being exhausted mm. and having to take lots of sick days. Mm. 
yeah, so that's the kind of things I've had to learn over mm. the last number of years. Mm. And I'm just thinking about how, um, like, how as a community we can add spoons back into your day by, like, offering to drive you somewhere or um, helping with some of these aspects. But, yeah, anyway, maybe that's something for us all to ponder. Um, just as we wrap up, can you, can you tell us a little bit about how, how this connects to your faith? Yeah, so Adam, when we got married, because I was well when Adam and I started dating and then I got sick um, about a year into our relationship um, and I, my doctor gave me steroids to get through our wedding and honeymoon just so that I would have actually energy to enjoy it. So Adam engraved. On my ring, Second uh, Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10. Sorry. And it says, um, it's Paul talking about how he has a thorn in his thigh and he kept asking for God to remove it. And he said he heard from God him say, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So, yeah, it's something that I wear. <sighs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so I wear it every day, and it's so constant encouragement to me. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's a verse in Lamentations that I was thinking about this morning. Um, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I read something that John Piper said that connected it to the manna that God provided to his people during the Exodus and that God provided food for his people every morning and they could only gather it for that day. They couldn't keep it and store it for the next day and they had to rely and trust that God would provide the manna the next day. And so I think that for me, what encourages me is that I, I trust that God will give me the grace and the mercy and the energy to do what he wants me to do that day. And that's enough and that's sufficient um, because he's the one that's working through me and I don't need to, yeah, store it up for the next day. Um, and that's what, yeah, so that's the things that encourage me and help me to persevere and longing for heaven and knowing that um, my frail body isn't forever that this is a short time and I will get a new body that won't um, won't be like this. Yeah, they'll be new and perfect. You'll have unlimited spoons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, let's pray. I'm trying to pray. 
our loving creator God. Um, we want to thank you for our sisters Gabby and Tracy and Lord for your work in their lives. Lord, we thank you for um, yeah your handiwork in creating and shaping each of them as unique um, children of yours that you have um, prepared good works in advance for them to do. And Lord, we just thank you so much that we have the privilege of getting to know them and hearing a bit of their story. And um, we pray that you will um, take their words and use them to shape our hearts and the way we live our lives and um, love you and love others. And um, yeah, Father, we pray that you would keep reminding them of your, um, your personal love for them and um, yeah, reassuring them that your um, your mercies, your compassion is in you every morning, that you are faithful, Lord. And we pray for our time um, in discussion groups and in just personal reflection time now. Father, we just really, we pray that you would speak to us and um, challenge us with what you want us to be um, pondering and committing to uh, with you this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.